0: Hey, this is David Colosi, and in this napping wizard session, I'm gonna reveal a secret to writing a top-selling pop song.
1: So I I I thought I would explain to you how you make a career out of three chords. I know a lot of you have been wondering that, and you younger bands, pay attention to this one.
0: It's similar to the One Song series that I'm working on, but this one is more like one riff.
2: This announcement from the producers of this record contains important information for radio program directors and is not for broadcast. I'm
0: going to play multiple songs that hit the Billboard Top 100 chart or the UK Singles chart, and you'll hear, even if you don't listen all that closely, what they all have in common. Like what you find going down any rabbit hole, it's uncanny and it's
2: ubiquitous. The first cut on this record has been cross-format focused for airplay success,
0: For the most part, I'm not going to play cover songs, with the exception of a couple, when they were important for this secret to resurge and as a reminder to how this momentum
2: got started. As you well know, a record must break on radio in order to actually provide a living for the artists involved. Up until now, you've had to make these record-breaking decisions on your own, relying only on perplexing intangibilities like taste and intuition.
0: Any musician who wants to launch or relaunch a commercial success will try their voice on a good cover song. Everything from American Idol to the masked singer relies on how well an aspiring singer or a lapsed legend can interpret a classic. But what's better than a good cover to make a career rise
2: to the top? But now, there's a better way. The cut that follows is the product of newly developed compositional techniques based on state-of-the-art marketing analysis technology. This cut has been analytically designed to break on radio, and it will, sooner or later.
0: Well, how about an original song with new lyrics that exploits the riff from a previous top-selling song? Sometimes this is done as an homage to the original, and sometimes it's a critical break from a musical tradition. Most times, the borrowed bit goes unnoticed, but as soon as another song comes out with a similar sound, the last person who recorded it cries foul, saying they were ripped off.
2: For the station that breaks it first, the benefits are obvious.
0: You lead the pack. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying these songs are plagiarized. Borrowing riffs and lyrics has a long tradition in music, and everyone, well, except for record companies, knows that cultural borrowing is how music evolves we tap into that reservoir of nostalgia and carry the joy to the next baton toss.
2: Yes, no matter what share of this crazy market you do business in, no other release is going to satisfy your corporation's current idea of good radio, like this one. Rather than something to
0: be litigated in court resulting in huge profits for record companies and spare change for artists, this is a tradition that most musicians celebrate, at least I would hope.
2: On this cut, we're working together on the same wavelength, in scientific harmony. The exception, of course, is the time before the
0: Reservoir existed, with those blues, spiritual, and gospel songs adding all the water that popular music later profited from. But
2: remember, this cut is constructed for multi-market breaking now.
0: Most musicians are open about their roots and inspirations, and some of them, once they become famous and moneyed, do reach back to pull up those pioneers that brought them there. Don't waste viable research with needless delay. Whether this is enough is a question we still debate, and racial and economic justice is at the heart of it. We've done the hard work of ensuring your success. But if musicians have anything besides rhythm and soul, it's usually a big heart. It's best when they pay that forwards and backwards. In this podcast, by revealing this secret, I run the risk of destroying some of these classics for you. The final step is up to you. But if you're like me, following the thread will make them richer. And my goal is to emphasize this forward and backward play with nostalgia that happens without our really knowing it. These are the songs that we love, and in this case, there is a very specific reason
2: for that. Special designer song follows in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1...
0: So you just heard what I'll call the 60s wave of this riff. It all started with the Supremes with You Can't Hurry Love that charted at number one in the US Billboard Hot 100 for two weeks and number three in the UK singles. That's in 1966. I'm sure the Supremes got this riff from someone else. The lyrics are said to have come from Dorothy Love Coates' You Can't Hurry God He's Right On Time, but the riff is not found in that song. But I'm sure it can be found by digging back further in the history. But what was also there in Detroit during this Motown wave in 1966 was Martha and the Vandellas with I'm Ready for Love. Their song reached number eight in the pop singles chart and number nine in the Billboard Top 100 using the very same riff in the very same year. The Temptations also did a cover of I'm Ready for Love in 1967.
4: Stand alone on, the night. For the first time,
0: on the other hand, also alone. in 1967, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons got in on the action and released Come On Marianne, which hit number 9 in the Billboard 100. And then the very next year, 1968, The Doors released Touch Me, which exploits the very same riff, slightly embellished, and they reached number 3 on the Billboard charts. Now I'm sure there were others in between, but I'm going to move into the mid-70s starting first with Donnie Osmond's cover of Frankie Valli and take it into the 1980s. <laughs>
5: Your big brown
3: Million in prizes. Oh, we have a to film. Java GT. where well- Do another strip
6: dance.
0: That group started with Donnie Osmond's cover of Frankie Ballet's Come On Marianne from 1976 that reached 38 in the Billboard Top 100, and this song put the riff back on the radio. In 1977, David Bowie and Iggy Pop were in Berlin, supposedly detoxing from a major drug period in Los Angeles, and Lust for Life, the centerpiece for my show, found its rhythm. Legend has it that Bowie discovered the rhythm by listening to and then playing the intro of the Armed Forces Network newscast on a ukulele. Well, that's plausible, it's also more likely that Bowie, who had just come off of his Young Americans and Station to Station Soul period, was abundantly familiar with The Supremes and Martha and the Vandellas. Ironically, Ray Manzarek of The Doors quipped that Iggy Pop ripped the lick off of Touch Me. In 1977, the song didn't chart. It reached number two 20 years later when the Pop and Bowie produced song appeared in 1996 for the film Train Spotting. Since 1977, the riff seems most strongly tied to Lust for Life and Iggy Pop but largely by younger bands branching off from his genre. The next song I played was from 1980. Heart, by what turned out to be a supergroup of musicians titled Rockpile, didn't chart as a single, but the album it appears on, Seconds of Pleasure, which was the only album they released as a group, charted at number 27 in the Billboard Top 200. Two years later, in 1982, the UK band The Jam reached far higher with their song A Town Called Malice, which reached number one in the UK singles chart and 31 in the US Billboard Top 100. Not to be outdone, later in 1982 and early 1983, Phil Collins, coming into a super successful solo career after leaving Genesis, released his cover of The Supremes' You Can't Hurry Love, which landed him at number one on the UK singles chart, and number 10 in the Billboard Top 100. Then in 1983, a relatively unknown band called The Waves and later Katrina and the Waves wrote a song called Walking on Sunshine. It didn't do so well after its Canadian release in 1983, but by 1985 it had reached number 8 in the UK singles chart and number 9 in the Billboard Top 100. And though the riff is a little popped up a bit, it's the same as those that came before. So to lead into this last segment, starting in 1999 and into the 2000s, I'll start with the Dixie Chicks cover of You Can't Hurry Love, which, though it only reached number 60 in the U.S. country charts, it's still charted. I'm starting again with this cover because I want to keep the Supremes in front of us. So after the Dixie Chicks, I played Are You Gonna Be My Girl by the Australian band The Jets from 2003. The song takes the very same riff, gives it a taste of Jack White and some new lyrics, and charts at number 29 in the U.S. Billboard Top 100 and number 16 in the U.K. singles. And the band has always defended against the suggestion that they ripped off Iggy Pop by saying that Iggy got his song from not only The Supremes, but more so from Martha and the Vandellas, I'm Ready for Love. After that, I played Selfish Gene by the Scottish band Travis from 2007. This reached number 30 in the UK singles. Travis's band member, Fran Healy, doesn't hide that he sampled the intro to Iggy Pop's Lust for Life to create the bass. And the last song I played was What is Happening by the Danish band Alpha Beat. It was released in 2007 and 2008, and then re-released in 2018. Though this seems at first like a deviation from the theme, once you get a few minutes into it, there is no question about the origins of the beat. So there are probably tons of other songs before the Supremes and Martha and the Vandellas and after that I missed. But there is no question that if you want to write a song that is sure to tap into that nostalgia vein, that makes all pop music good then this is the riff for you and even though it's not as pronounced you'll start to hear marks of it in other songs like Mark Ronson and Amy Winehouse's cover of the Zutons hit Valerie Tones only reached number 9 in the UK with their song that doesn't use the riff at all. But when Ronson and Winehouse interpret it with more of that Motown sound, sure enough it reaches number 2. So you got it now, right? I want to end the show by turning this all around. In around 2014, this one's been a bit hard to pin down, musician and music producer J2 recorded this song featuring vocalist Nicole Atkins, apparently for the television series Salem. It's a cover of Iggy Pop's Lust for Life, but it shows how a cover song, even stripped of its signature riff, can be beautiful. Thanks for listening to the Napping Wizard Sessions and stay tuned for something else.
7: That's something called love that's like hypnotizing and chickens just